0: Let me quickly pray, and then we'll, we'll open up God's Word. Um, Father, we come to you this morning, and we are so thankful that we can praise you. And um, Father, we can't sing, but we can hear the words, sung. And Father, it's great to be reminded, Father, how mighty you are, how great you are. Father, we, we pray this morning as we come to your fifth commandment that you uh, gave to Israel, Father, that we would extract the truth from it. That we would peel past the skin and and see the heart of of the law, Father. And that we would find our delight in the law. Father, we pray we would love your word. And that you would bless it to us. That by your spirit you would guide us in truth this morning. And so we pray now. uh, Help us to understand your truth. And help us to see Christ in the law. Help us to see the gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, If you want to uh, turn in in your Bibles, whether physical or electronic, uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 4, and we're going to start there in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 4. You say, but what about the fifth commandment? We shall get there. (laughs) Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 to start with, and um, we will start with verse 5. A quick note while people turn there. There is many references on the back of this sheet. Um, I could have done three sermons on this. We won't have time to get there. So this is to help you do a self-study in your own time uh, with all them references in the New Testament. Uh, But hopefully you're there now in Deuteronomy chapter 4. So let me read from verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth. And that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice, and he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone, and the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. Flick over the page to chapter 6, and we pick up in chapter 6, verses 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and turn over the page to verse 20. When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, why did we read um, them? Well, the fifth commandment is this in Exodus 20 verse 12: "Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, that the Lord your God, has given you." Uh, Deuteronomy sets us up to understand, though, that as the, the children have an obligation to honor their parents, so do the parents have a responsibility. And that responsibility is, is to stop us from forgetting here lest you forget we're not to forget the wondrous things that god has done and actually it's not for the people on the pulpit preaching on sunday it's not their primary job to make sure the children know it's the parents and so the parents have a duty and that duty is one given to them by god you will teach your children why because they are the children of god if they are in christ and so the parents are to remind the children of all from Genesis to Revelation. It's beautiful uh, in-, in Deuteronomy 6, isn't it, uh, that you will talk about them in your houses. Uh, when you sit, uh, whether that's at the dining room table or just if you eat your tea, uh, on the uh, sat at the sofas, wherever you do. But what is it, parents? What do you delight in teaching your children and talking to them about? Do you delight to talk to them about God's word? Or is it only ever football? See, there has to be a balance. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul would say this. He says in Ephesians 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents, you have a responsibility. Fathers, and that is mothers too. You are not to provoke your children. That is to stir them up, to try and wind them up. If you lead them into anger, you lead your child into sin. And that's not what your role is. That's not what your duty is. No, you are to bring them up in the ways of the Lord. You are to teach them the word of the Lord. And that is a great blessing. Uh, And that is your duty as parents. Now, why is that? Well, that is because the parents are there to defend. Uh, we're talking now in terms of Israel. The parents are there to defend the social state of Israel. They were protect, protecting the social state to make sure it was uh, morally good, uh, but they were also there to protect the spiritual state. And so, as we come to the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. That Your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. We recognize this is the fifth commandment, but also the first commandment uh, We have seen the first commandment and uh, you'll have no other God but me and Then you'll make no idols. That's the second commandment And then you will not use uh, God's name in vain the third commandment And then you will keep the Sabbath day which we could just say is really you will keep God on your mind But without the parents the first four would be forgotten about. It's the parents' duty to remind their children of the first four. But also we see a transition that happens from the first four, which are laws concerned with our relationship to God directly. And then we come to the fifth, and we have the next six commandments, and they are concerned with our relationship to other humans. And so where does our relationship with other humans start? Well, the first relationship you have is with your parent. The first person you know in life is your parent. And actually, the fifth commandment, it comes down like a a, a sledgehammer on the idea of individualism. Because if you say, what right does my parent have over me to tell me what to do? Well, listen to Paul in Ephesians 6, because he helps us to understand why it is that we honor Children, obey your parents in the Lord, firstly, for this is right. Secondly, it's a command, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. So, it is right, Paul says. And the Jewish people, Israel, they knew this. It was the created order that if anyone was to say, what right does my parent have over me? Well, did you give birth to yourself? No. No. Did you look after yourself? No. Did you feed yourself? No. Did you clothe yourself? No. Did you protect yourself? No. Nature dictates, it tells you, the right your parent has over you is that you would not be alive today without them. And the Creator always has authority over the creators. And so authority starts first with God, But through his created order, authority comes to the parents. And authority then starts in the family unit. And children are meant to be brought up in discipline. They are meant to be brought up to acknowledge and understand how it is that we submit to authority. Uh, Honor, in Hebrew, uh, the original language of the text, the Hebrew word is kavad. And it really just literally means heavy. (laughs) It is as if when you see your parents, you see the, the weight of authority that they have. It is that you give them the value, their worth in gold. You respect that weight of authority that they carry. And so, for children, what does it look like to obey? Well, first of all, it is uh, to honor, it is to obey. It is to submit. And if we fail in the family unit to get authority right, then we will fail in every position of authority in society. If you look on your handout, I put a quote by the 4th century theologian, Augustine. He said, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? And the answer is, no. No, if you do not teach your children to respect authority in the family, then they, will not, uh, they won't respect authority anywhere. Any secondary school teachers in the room probably know that truth the most. It, it, the kids who will most dishonor their teachers and not respect their authority at school are the ones who were never taught to respect their parents at home. And so authority starts in the family unit. But as as we peel back the law, we see that it's not just about honoring our parents, but honoring all laws in authority. And Israel understood this. When they heard the words, honor your father, they didn't take it literally as just your family father, but they took it as the father of the nation, the king. And they took it as the the spiritual fathers, that is, the prophets. And so, why, why should children honor? Well, first, it's right. But for Israel, they were to honor their parents unto the Lord because of the covenant they had with the Lord. For Christians today, we are to honor unto the Lord is what Paul says in Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He's not saying, obey your parents who are Christians. <laughs> He's saying, obey your, Christ- uh, your parents as if you are obeying the Lord himself. And so straight away we see there is a restriction on obeying. And that is, if your parent commands you, or anyone in authority commands you to do something, which the Lord himself would not command you, if they command you to do anything that goes against God's will, then you do not do it. Now, does that mean we do not honor? No. Uh, Let me lay this down. You always honor. Always. There is never a time that you do not honor the person in authority. But sometimes you might have to disobey. But you need to make sure that you do that in an honorable way. And so the Apostle Paul, he talks elsewhere about speaking truth, but with love. And if you're going to have to say it to your parent, uh, whether they're a Christian or not, they, even a Christian parent might ask you to do something not realizing that is not what God wants. And if they ask you to do anything that God does not want, then you must disobey. Uh, you first must honor God, the first four commandments, and then honor other people. The next six commandments you first must honor God and obey God and then honor people and obey people and if what they ask you to do is against what God wants then you do not obey but you must must refuse to do it in a loving way and an honorable way one of the uh, greatest problems uh, and when I've talked to uh, friends who recently became Christians is actually one of the issues, is it can create friction in the household. And, and the Christian can just be disobeying, but not disobeying in a loving manner, really, but in a proud manner. And that's not how we're meant to go about. God commands it, and therefore it is pleasing to God. What was sin once is always sin. And so that why, that's why today... We, we still honor our parents. We still are to submit to them and to obey them. And then from learning that in the family unit, when we go out and we get a job or we go to school, we respect the authority there as well as unto the Lord, as, as if we were obeying him directly. But now let's uh, turn our attention to this promise. In Exodus 20, verse 12, he says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Uh, This isn't a promise. It's not a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. This isn't, if you keep this commandment, then you will have good health and you will uh, live to a 100. Now, in the Old Testament, there are uh, sort of blessings and promises promised to Israel about that. But that's not what this command is on about. This is, uh, not an individualistic command; it is a corporate one given to the nation. And so to say, your days may be long in the land. It is to say, uh, generation after generation will live in the land of Canaan, the promised land to Israel. But with the the promise comes a curse. But first, let's uh, just quickly look at what does it mean for the Christian, this promise? Because Paul repeats it in Ephesians 6 again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So he brings the promise through to the New Testament and individualizes it. But again, it still isn't leading to a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. For Paul writes this in Ephesians this letter uh, uh, to the Ephesians, while he's in prison, Sir Paul knows himself. The promise of honoring your parents, it doesn't mean you will have some sort of materialistic blessing, and it doesn't mean that life may look well for you, but you will know the presence of God in your life, and you have the future promise of the land mentioned in Hebrews Those in the Old Testament, they looked for the land of Canaan, for Israel. But we have a greater land to look for, where we will dwell with God. But right now, when we do what is pleasing to God, which is the created order, if you live by the way God created it to be, then there is a blessing. Now, it doesn't look like wealth, but it looks like a close relationship to God and that is what would get Paul through being stuck in prison that he could have a close relationship with God himself worth more than anything else but for Israel there came a curse for the Christian there is no curse but for Israel there was keep this commandment and you will have blessing don't keep it and there will be a curse uh, if you if you turn to Ezekiel chapter 22 We, we, we see this. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 7. And God says, Father and mother are treated with contempt. That is, they are, they are disregarded. They are treated as worthless. And what does God decree? Well, in verse 14, it says, to Israel, Can your courage endure, or can your hands be strong in the days that I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you through the countries. And I, listen, I will consume your uncleanliness out of you. It is a promise that the generations after generations will dwell in the land. But if you fail to keep the commandment, he will push you Out of the land God will purge the wicked and the evil from the nation now if you were an Israelite then the first thing on your mind should be how do we stop from ending up there how do we stop ourselves from getting kicked out of the land well that brings us to the penalty if you want to turn to Deuteronomy 21 I'll quickly turn to Exodus 21 and read two verses, but then we'll look at Deuteronomy 21. In Exodus 21, it's written in verse 15, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. And verse 17, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Quite shocking. But then if we read in Deuteronomy uh, 21, This is like a a case example that Moses gives them. Uh, You heard what was written in Exodus 21. If they strike the father or the mother, uh, put them to death. If they curse them, put them to death. Uh, But we don't want people to just start putting everyone to death. So let me give you a case example. And so Moses gives a case example in uh, Deuteronomy 21 verse 18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother... And though they discipline him, will not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton that he stuffs his face with food. And a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Uh, The case example should highlight to us, uh, we are not talking about little Timmy. (laughs) Uh, We are not putting little Timmy to death uh, because he didn't do the washing up or he didn't take the the trash out. Uh, No, the case example is this. You have a wicked son who's not obeying, and even when the parents try to discipline him, he's not taking, he's not listening at all. Uh, But notice the actions that are highlighted. He is a glutton. He stuffs his face. Well, that could be little Timmy. (laughs) It sounds like my brother anyway. And so, stuffing your face. But notice the end bit is, and a drunkard. Well, this isn't little Timmy. This is more like big, beefy Bert over here. Uh, He's getting drunk. He's just like a leech on his parents, and he's just feeding off them. And when they try to ask him to do anything, he curses them. And if his mother comes through and says, Bert, will you do this? Well, he hits his mother. And the Lord says, what an abomination to the created order. That person will be put to death. Now, there are two things to understand here. Um, First of all, all sin deserves death. All sin deserves death. Nine of the Ten Commandments, there is an explicit statement. If they break this one, they will be put to death. Uh, The the only one which doesn't have an explicit one is is coveting. Uh, But you can make a case from the Bible if you covet, they shall also be put to death. It is a reminder, and this is why the penalty is actually just as important for us to understand as as the command and the promise. All sin deserves the capital punishment. It deserves the death penalty. In Genesis 2, when Adam was listening to God, and by the way, in in Luke 4, you'll find the, uh, the genealogy. And as Luke goes down the genealogy, he gets to Adam, and it's almost like he gets stuck. Oh, who's Adam's parent? And so he says, Adam, the son of God, because he was formed from the ground. He has no biological parent. And in Genesis 2, Adam's in the garden, and he is uh, commanded. You can, you can have all everything you see, but not that one tree. Do not eat of it. And Adam breaks this fifth commandment. Oh, they didn't have the written law, but he, he, what, he knew the law. He was in relationship with God. And he dishonored his father. He did not obey his father. He did not obey the heavenly father. Instead, he took off the fruit and he ate it. And in doing so, sin entered the world. And he sinned against God. That is, he rebelled against God. He committed an evil deed against God. And in Genesis 2, God says to him, you can have all of it, but not the fruit of that tree. And he, he promises him something. <laughs> Eat of that tree and you will die. God is faithful to his word. If you sin, Adam, you will die. And he didn't mean just a spiritual death. He meant a physical death. You will die. And actually, the way God says it, We are to understand it, that he meant if Adam ate of the tree like that, he would die. That was a rubbish click, wasn't it? (laughs) But if he ate of the tree, he he would die instantly. The death penalty, actually, it shows us the mercy of God. Because you can sin a million times and yet God doesn't strike you down. For the ten commandments break them but you must break them also in an extreme way just not taking out the trash is not enough for you to be put to death no it has to be a drunkard and it has to be someone who's also the parents have tried to discipline him and to say stop doing that but he still doesn't listen we're on about the extreme case they're the ones who will be put to death the rest of us we We get to see the mercy of God that he doesn't kill us. He is the one who imparts life to us. It is right for the creator to take that life away if you do not respect him. We should not be shocked um, by, by the death penalty. We should be shocked by the mercy of God. Let me put it this way, if... If at the end of World War II uh, the British turned on their radios and they heard that the British soldiers they had marched into Germany, they took captive uh, Adolf Hitler, and they shot him, you might think, oh, that's quite shocking. And yet, don't you think the majority of the British population, they would be happy <laughs> justice had been served? But if they turned on their radios and they heard The British soldiers marched into Germany. They took captive Adolf Hitler. They made him pay just a 10-pound fine, and off he went. There would be outrage. Mercy is not what people want. And yet it is what we need in the eyes of God. The penalty was the prevention. You should kill that one now and purge the evil out of Israel so that God will not have to purge everyone. And this is a New Testament principle as well. Not the death penalty, don't get me wrong there. But church discipline. You cannot afford to let one evil, wicked, disobedient person in the church be disobedient against the church elders or against anyone in the church. Otherwise, the whole church will end up following that example. And so church discipline is the almost New Testament equivalent. And it is needed. Now, I said the penalty is just as important as the command. And that is because through the penalty, we really see the need of a savior. And through the penalty, we really see the gospel. See, if you dishonor your parents, you should be killed. But the good news of the gospel is that Christ died on the cross. He died. He bore the penalty for every child who dishonors his parents. And also, he bore the penalty for every parent who failed to live up to the responsibility of teaching their child. There is now no guilt, there is no shame, and there is no condemnation. Because our failures to keep the law, well, Christ bore the penalty of that on the cross. But if all Christ did was to bear the penalty, it would put us back at square zero with God. It is like this, that when we sin, we fall into debt and we we now have a penalty to pay, a fine to pay. If all Christ did was pay, it would get us back to our bank balance of, of zero. But in order to be declared righteous to God, that is to meet his holy standard, that is to be pure and perfect, to follow his ways, to be obedient to him. Uh, zero pounds in the bank is not enough. It has to be filled. And so Christ bore the penalty. He, he took our debt and he took us to zero. But then he went further than that and he fulfilled the law himself so that his obedience to it would then be credited to us. It's as if The the value of his obedience gets transferred to our bank account. That we're now not on zero with God. No, we have an infinite amount of obedience to God. And so uh, let's look now at uh, at Luke chapter 2. Here is one of the the first examples we get of Christ now uh, obeying the law uh, and fulfilling it, keeping it. And Christ is not needing to do this for his own sake. Uh, but for our sake. And in Luke chapter 2 verse 48, it says this, and and when his parents, that is Jesus's parents, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Uh, they, They took him to the temple. They left thinking he was in the crowd. They've discovered he's not there. I would class that as a failure of parental responsibility But as we just said, Christ would eventually die for that. But they go back and they find him in the temple with the teachers. And he's asking questions and he's also teaching them. And and they are astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? At this point, if we were to stop there, it would look like Christ was not fulfilling the law. As if he was going against his earthly parents. And he says to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? You can also translate it. I must be about my father's business. And they did not understand. That is, his parents did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. But notice this. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. It looks like Christ has not fulfilled the law. But actually, Christ is I'll make up a word, doubly <laughs> fulfilling the law. He's fulfilling it in the heavenly sense. He's, he's going about his father's business. He is teaching in the temple like his father wants him to do. But the second his earthly parents come back and say, what are you doing? Why haven't you come with us? He, he in one sense, rebukes them, corrects them, and says, "You know, I have my heavenly father who I must obey first. Uh, But now that you've came back, I will now come with you, and I will submit to you. And so first of all, he obeys the heavenly Father, and he fulfills the law in that respect. And secondly, he then fulfills the law in the earthly sense of obeying his earthly parents. And Christ does this right up until the end of his life. Do not think that the law, honor your mother and father, uh, is to children in the sense of an age limit children under 18, children under 13. No, it's children. <laughs> you only really get out of that law in one sense when your parents die. And we see uh, in, in uh, John chapter 19, Jesus is, he is hanging on the cross and he sees his mother standing there watching with the disciple John and he says in John 19 verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother, And the disciple whom he loved, John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. One uh, Christ's uh, dying act is that he would honor his mother in that final moment. Uh, He would make sure that his mother was well looked after. In society today, so often the attitude is that when people get old, well, they're worthless. Just put them in a care home, forget about them, disregard them. That is not the mentality of the Christian. It is not the mentality that God has said we should have. No, the mentality we have is we honor our parents and if we die first we make sure they are looked after and provided if we go first the mentality of christ is is one of love for his mother he's dying there on the cross in one sense you would think he's you know you would expect that the parent should be the one trying to do everything for the son because the son's dying. No, that's not the mentality. The son is dying and he has his mother on mind. It's actually so beautiful. And the mentality of the Christian is we honor our parents uh, all the way through our life. We, we provide for them. Let's look at um, one final passage in Matthew 12. In Matthew 12, again, another passage which at first might seem like he is actually not fulfilling the law, disregarding his mother and his family. In Matthew 12, verse 46, it says, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Um, Technically, we might have been better to read it in Mark's gospel to actually also get a better context, really. Just before this in Mark's gospel, he mentions that actually his parents and his brothers, they are trying to drag Jesus in, (laughs) and say, shut up, (laughs) stop preaching. They are actually trying to prevent Jesus from doing the will of the Heavenly Father. And so now, when they turn up, why are they there? Well, in Mark's gospel, he set the scene, they're most likely there to try and drag him away again. (laughs) And Jesus is making a statement. Those who, who keep God's will Who follow God's will. They are my brother and my sister and my mother. Honor your father and mother. It is the first law. And from it, it dictates how our relationship with all of the people will be. But when Christ comes, he changed the family unit. Now, we still have a biological unit and it's important we honor that and respect it. There have been missionaries who have said, I'm going to go and serve the Lord to honor the Lord. And actually, they have disregarded their family unit at home. And you cannot say that that is actually pleasing to God. For if he blesses you with a family, then he expects you to honor him by serving your family. But here, what Jesus is really stressing, he's not disregarding his mother and his brothers. But he is uplifting, in one sense, the heavenly family, the family of God. See, do not forget about these, though. And so often that can be the case, that we're so fixed on our own little bubbles, our own biological families, that when it comes to God's family, we make no place for them to actually come into our biological family we we care for our biological family but when someone in the church is struggling we don't look out for them when the widow is struggling if it's not our biological uh, mother or grandmother then we say it's someone else's problem but no they are now your family through Christ he has reconciled he has brought people back together and made god's family And in God's family, there is an honouring of all people. Just as Christ would honour his mother, so we therefore honour any mother in the church. As Christ would honour the Heavenly Father, we also would honour the Heavenly Father. But we would also honour the spiritual fathers in the church, those who guide us and mentor us and teach us, and we would respect them and we would love them. As I said, there is so much we could have done, <laughs> could have done uh, three sermons on this commandment, and we, we've ran out of time. <laughs> but I want to uh, finish with this, and it's on the back of your sheets. Look under the title, Honor Your Husband or Wife, it's on the right. Let us quickly read 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2 likewise wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct Now, this is a principle for all of us if we have non-christian parents non-christian employers non-christian friends it should be Our honoring of them, our loving of them, our respecting of them. That should make them see we live different. We are counter cultural. The culture today says, Live for yourself. As long as you're happy, that's it. That's good. No, no, no. The fifth commandment shows us the will of God, what pleases God. It is that we look out for others, not ourselves. That we honor others and we submit to others as unto the Lord. And so, just like Peter tells the wives, Uh, be subject to your non-Christian husband. That will be a witness. Uh, Let us have full hope and assurance that our conduct is our witness as well. Uh, Don't mess it up. But do remember, if you do mess it up, uh, Christ bore that sin. He bore the penalty, the death penalty, so that you would not die. Uh, But you must trust in Jesus. You must take hold of him. And the promises he gives us. Now let's pray. Father, uh, we pray to you now. Uh, this is a command which is an amazing command. It dictates how we are to live our lives in relationship to others. It dictates how we live our lives in relationship to authority. Father, we pray by your spirit you would humble us. Give us the same uh, humility Christ had that he would be God and yet even so he would humble himself to serve others and honour others Father if Christ could do it then now Christ in us let us do it Father we pray uh, that you would uh, help us to bless and love our biological family but also to help and bless and love your family the heavenly family And so we just pray for your your word that it would be on our hearts, on our minds. We would live and honor you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.